The following message is from Temple Bible Church. For more information about the church and its ministries, visit www.templebiblechurch.org. If you look at the baptism announcement in the bulletin, the bulletin is incorrect, and the video announcement was correct. The correct answer is there is a meeting today and this Wednesday if you're interested in baptism. So if you need to, just remember the video that played on there and replay it in your mind. As you can see, it's important to get the dates right. I tend to like schedules. I tend to like calendars. For me, I find them freeing and liberating. It allows me to do more. If I have a good calendar, I know when I can schedule my spontaneous time. You think I'm kidding. When I was dating my wife, Patty Lynn saw my calendar one time and wanted to know what this was. And I looked, and from 6 to 8.30 was my spontaneous time. So, I also like to-do lists. There's just something about having an item on the to-do list that you take your pencil and you cross it through, and it's like you've killed it, and it's dead, and it's not going to rise up again to torment me. Sometimes I wonder about God's timing and God's to-do list. We're going to look at a passage today that talks about time, and sometimes I think that God has a rather warped sense of time. You know, when he can say a thousand years is as a day for me, and a day is like a thousand years, sometimes he sounds a lot like a doctor when he says, I'll be there in just a minute. We're going to look at Daniel chapter 9, so please turn there as we come to Daniel chapter 9, and we're going to read our passage, verses 20 through 27. So read along with me as we go through this. While I was speaking and praying, confessing my sin and the sin of my people Israel, and presenting my plea before the Lord my God for the holy hill of my God, while I was speaking in prayer, the man Gabriel, whom I had seen in the vision at the first, came to me in swift flight at the time of the evening sacrifice. He made me understand, speaking with me and saying, O Daniel, I have now come out to give you insight and understanding. At the beginning of your pleas for mercy, a word went out, and I have come to tell it to you, for you are greatly loved. Therefore, consider the word and understand the vision. Seventy-sevens are decreed about your people in your holy city to finish the transgression, to put an end to sin, and to atone for iniquity, to bring in everlasting righteousness, to seal both vision and profit, and to anoint a holy of holies. Know therefore and understand that from the going out of the word to restore and build Jerusalem, to the coming of an anointed one, a prince, there will be seventy sevens. Then for seventy-two sevens, it shall be built again with squares and moat, but in a troubled time. And after the sixty-two sevens, an anointed one shall be cut off and shall have nothing. And the people of the prince who is to come shall destroy the city and the sanctuary. Its end shall come with a flood, and to the end there shall be war. Desolations are decreed. And he shall make a strong covenant with many for one seven, and for half of the seven he will put an end to sacrifice and offering. And on the wing of abomination shall come one who makes desolate until the decreed end is poured out on the desolator. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, 
you gave this word to Daniel to enlighten and help him to understand. So we pray that you would enlighten us and help us to understand your plan. Lord, I pray that this would be a source of hope and a source of unity, that the words that I say would be quickly forgotten, but that the words from you would be written indelibly on our hearts. It's in your name we pray. Amen. So we come to Daniel chapter 9, the second part, and we have to remember that it's a continuation of what Gary started preaching on two weeks ago. Remember on Palm Sunday, the week before Easter, Gary started in Daniel chapter 9 about a prayer, and Daniel reminds us that in verse 20, while I was speaking and praying, confessing my sin and the sin of my people Israel. So if we want to understand this timeline that Daniel gives... We need to recognize that it's an answer to prayer. And Daniel was praying because as he was reading the prophet Jeremiah, Jeremiah said that the exile would last 70 years. Well, Daniel had been thinking, we may be coming close to the end of the exile. Now, before we go any further, I need to kind of make a disclaimer For those of you who came to church today with the expectation that there would be no math, I'm sorry, we are going to do some mathematics. I'm an engineer. I tend to like that. So just follow along with us. We will get through the math. Well, in this particular case, Jeremiah said there would be 70 years. Well, Daniel and the rest of the Israelites were deported into Babylon in 606 B.C., That was the time that Nebuchadnezzar conquered Egypt, Israel was conquered, and much of Israel was brought into Babylon, 606. Well, Darius and the Persians conquer Babylon, and they do so in 539. We know in the beginning of Daniel chapter 9, this is the year that Daniel was praying. Daniel can do math. 606... Minus 70 is 536. So in 539, Daniel is thinking, I've got about three years. Hopefully the exile will end in three years. So this is what Daniel is praying. And as you can see in verse 20, he's motivated by his sin and the sin of Israel. Why? Well, because Daniel didn't only know the book of Jeremiah, Daniel also knew the book of Leviticus, the law. And Leviticus talked about the exile. And in Leviticus it says, the exile will last, but if my people repent, then I will restore them. So Daniel is praying on behalf of his people to bring about repentance, so that if they repent, God said he will restore them. There's another thing on Daniel's mind. Because he also recognizes that later in Leviticus 26, God also says, if my people don't repent, then the exile will be seven times its length. So the exile is supposed to be 70 years. Seven times 70 is 490. Remember that number, it's going to become important in just a little bit. So Daniel is praying on one hand for 
national repentance because he wants the exile to come to a close. But Daniel's thinking bigger than that. If you remember back in Daniel chapter 9, verse 4, Daniel is asking and calling on God to keep his promises. Daniel calls God a covenant-keeping God. In other words, God, are you going to keep your promise? God, you promised to Adam and to Abraham that you would save the world through Israel. You promised that you would save the world through Abram's seed. God, are you going to keep your promise? We've got all these other nations that are ruling the world. We're stuck in exile. We're caught in sin. God, are you going to do what you said you were going to do? And so this is the prayer that God is answering. And so Daniel tells us that while he was speaking and praying, God sends him Gabriel. He had met Gabriel 13 years earlier at a different vision. And he comes. And Gabriel says to Daniel, God heard your prayer. I'm going to help you understand the answer. Well, what is God's answer? Well, we come to it at the beginning in verse 24. In verse 24, we see God's calendar. Because he says, 77s are decreed about your people in your holy city. Now, some of your versions may say 70 weeks. That's okay. The Hebrew word that is used there is a word for sevens or a group of sevens, frequently referring to a week. But in Leviticus, surprise, in chapter 25, which is right before chapter 26, surprise, God talks about a seven weeks of years for Jubilee and for the land to be restored. And so what he's telling us is that there are going to be 77s for this to take place. 70 times 7 is 490. Remember, we talked about 490. So God is telling Daniel that in 490 years, I am going to send the Messiah. Now, what's he going to do? Well, we see God's to-do list. First of all, we see that there's going to be a finishing of transgression. What does that mean? Well, what that means is that God will bring to a final tally. Sin will be allowed to have its course and then stop. There will be no more because the time is full. God uses the same phrase when he's talking to Abraham in Genesis 15 about why the nation of Israel wouldn't immediately enter the promised land. Because he says, the iniquity of the Amorites is not yet full. So this is this idea that there will come an end and a filling up of sin. Secondly, on God's to-do list, is to put an end to sin. At the end of this 490 years, what that means is that evil will finally be judged appropriately. As Israel lived, evil kings would come and go and there seemed to be no justice. Evil seemed to prosper and seems to be allowed to prosper. And God is saying there will come an end. Evil and sin will finally be judged. 
Thirdly, God reminds Daniel that he is merciful and gracious and that he will provide an atonement. They are familiar with atonement in Israel. It was Yom Kippur, the Day of Atonement. And God is saying there will come a time of that final atonement, the once and for all sacrifice. The fourth thing on God's to-do list is to bring in everlasting righteousness. In other words, not only will evil be judged and put away with, but righteousness will rule. People, relationships, the creation will be characterized by righteousness. There will be righteous rulers. There will be righteousness and reestablishment of a full relationship with God. Fifth thing is that there would be a sealing of the vision and the prophets. Well, what does this mean? Well, what God is talking about here is that all of these prophecies that we've been reading about in Daniel, in the dreams, and all of the other prophecies that the prophets have had, like Joel and Amos and Haggai and all those people, all of those will be fulfilled. And all witnesses will be able to recognize, aha, God's prophecies were true. God has kept his word. And then the last thing on God's to-do list is to anoint a holy of holies. Again, your version may say a holy place. The Hebrew here just stops at a holy of holies that will be anointed by God. The Messiah is anointed. Anointing is the English word for Messiah, which is the Hebrew word. The Messiah will be anointed. He will be recognized and acknowledged as the Holy of Holies. All things will center and come to fulfillment in Him. And so, God tells us His plan. And He is telling Daniel, yes, I hear your prayer and there will be an end to the exile. Yes, I will keep my promise to save the world through Israel's Messiah. God answers Daniel's prayer. He does it very specifically and lays it out. So if God says it's going to be 490 years, then we need to figure out, well, when does the clock start? Verse 25. Know therefore and understand that from the going out of the word to restore and build Jerusalem... To the coming of the anointed Messiah, a prince, there will be seven sevens and sixty-two sevens. In other words, there will be 69 of these sevens. Okay, we need some more math. First question is, what is the decree that is being referenced in verse 25? Well, the first one we can think of is the one that was done by Cyrus in 536. That ended the exile. In 536, Cyrus made a proclamation that Israel could return to the land. In 518, they rebuilt the temple. And this is all recorded in Ezra. Now, if we take 69, multiply it by 7, we get 483 years. 536... Minus 483 brings us to 53 
B.C. Do you guys know what happened in 53 B.C.? Absolutely nothing. So, the Messiah didn't come in 53 B.C. Do we have another option? Well, we do. Artaxerxes eventually took over the rule of Persia from Cyrus, and in 457, Ezra records the fact that Artaxerxes made a proclamation for all of Israel to go back to the land and rebuild the walls and rebuild the city of Jerusalem. And the walls were rebuilt in 444. That's when Nehemiah went back. Now, 457 minus 483 brings us to 26 AD. What happened in 26 AD? The Messiah was revealed. Jesus began his public ministry. That one looks pretty good. Now, there is another announcement. As I said, Artaxerxes also proclaimed to Nehemiah in 444 that you can go back and actually rebuild the walls. 444 minus 483 takes us to 39 AD. That's too far. Jesus has already come. And so what we're left with, and the one that makes the most sense, is right here. 457, Israel goes back, and the Messiah has come. Now, what happens during that time? Well, in the first 49 years, it's told that the Jerusalem and the city would be rebuilt. And as we talked about in 444, the walls of Jerusalem were rebuilt. But it says it's going to be built in a troubled time. What does that mean? Well, what God is letting Daniel and Israel know is that, yes, Israel would be restored. Yes, the exile would be over. But as they return to the land, they're not going to achieve the former glory they had under David and Solomon. They weren't going to reach that level of greatness. We already know from the other dreams that Israel was going to have to deal with the Persian Empire, which they are now. They were going to have to deal with the Greek Empire. They were going to have to deal with the Roman Empire. And so that even though Israel would be a free nation, they would still have wars, and they would still have hardship, and they would still have to deal with these outside effects. So yes, it would come, but it wasn't until the Messiah would come that we would see the final answer. So that takes care of 69 weeks, and in those 69 weeks, we do see God answering his, Daniel's prayer, and God is keeping his promises. But there's one more week that we have to deal with, and that's in verse 27. And he shall make a strong covenant with many for one seven. So where do we put that 70th week? Where do we put that last seven years? This is where it gets a little confusing. There are some that would say that that last seven years occurred after Jesus' ministry. That it was fulfilled in the destruction of the temple in 70 AD. That sacrifices were ended, the temple was torn down, and Israel was no longer a nation. There's some merit to that argument. There are those who would say 
that the seven years are a, little, are a literal seven years, but those seven years are in the future. That between now and then, the church is here, but that in the future there will be a time of great tribulation, there will be an antichrist, there will be God's final judgment, and that that seven years is a literal seven years in the future. If you want to give a name to that, that's called the dispensational view. It is a well-respected view. If you're here and that's the position you hold, rest assured you can sleep well at night. There is a lot of biblical verses to support that position, and through the ages there have been a lot of godly men who would agree with you. Then there are those who would say we are currently in the 70th week, that we are currently in the millennium, that Jesus is reigning from heaven, that there will be a final battle and a final judgment and God will come and rule the earth forever and ever. That would be called a covenantalist perspective. And if that is what you believe, rest assured you can sleep well at night. There are many scriptural verses to support your position, and there are many godly men throughout history who would agree with you. I'm willing to bet that most of us haven't really thought through the positions. For many of us, this is the first time we've gone through Daniel. We haven't taken the time to do the math. I, I, I admit it, I'm an engineer, I'm a math nerd. Not everybody is. What do you do? I mean, I can see where this kind of sounds like Lord of the Rings or prophecies from Tolkien. You know, one ring to rule them all, one ring to find them, one ring to bring them all and in the darkness bind them. Tolkien, Daniel, what's the difference? Well, Let's ask ourselves, how did Daniel understand this? Well, Daniel understood this, and the Israelites understood this, that history unfolded as predicted. You know, we spent the last few weeks looking at history through prophecy. The prophecy and eventual fulfillment of the Persian Empire, the Greek Empire, the Roman Empire. Next week, or when Gary gets back and we do chapters uh, 10 and 11 and 12, we're going to learn more about the Greek Empire. For Daniel and the subsequent Israelites, this was literally being fulfilled over time. And come 26 AD, many, many Israelites were expecting a Messiah. Jesus was not the only Messiah to come to Israel at that time. Many people claim to be the Messiah. You read that in the Gospels, and, and, and they are warned, don't follow all those other false messiahs. The disciples were ex expecting a Messiah. In fact, Messianic expectations were so high that even after Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection, in Acts chapter 1, the disciples asked Jesus, now are you going to establish your kingdom? We get it. You're the Messiah. This is the time. Now are you going to do it? You see, they expected a Messiah. 
So what do we do with that 70 weeks? What do we do with it? Well, we don't fully get God's picture. And it isn't because God is wrong or misleading. It's because we have a limited perspective. I'll give you an example. If you go out at night and you look at the stars, and you'll look up and you can see, say, the Big Dipper. Now, from our perspective, the Big Dipper looks like a nice two-dimensional picture of a dipper. But we know if we go out into space that that's not really a Big Dipper up there, that the sky is actually three-dimensional. And if you change your perspective, the stars look different. The same is true in our understanding of God. God is so big that compared to God, we get a two-dimensional view. It's not that God is lying. It's not that God isn't being honest. It's because we are limited compared to God, and we see things from a limited perspective. But from God's perspective, it's three-dimensional, and it all fits together. That's what we do with the 70th week. Now, if you're still confused about that 70th week, I would encourage you to read the book of Revelation. It'll clear it right up. (laughs) So what do we do with this? How are we to understand it? Well, I have to say this is actually a fairly easy passage to preach because Jesus actually did all the exegesis in Matthew chapter 24 and 25. You see, in Matthew chapter 24, as Jesus is preparing for his crucifixion, he has some final time with his disciples. And his disciples are asking him, Jesus, when is the end of the age coming? They're thinking of Daniel 9. And what will be the signs of his coming? And Jesus specifically refers to Daniel. He specifically refers to this passage and says, there's going to be some time before the final age is come. But I want you to come away with three things as you think of Daniel chapter 9. I want you to think of three things as you hear Jesus' messages, what he's telling his disciples. And the first thing Jesus wants his disciples to take away from Daniel 9 and his own teaching is to take comfort. This passage should give us great comfort. If for no other reason, then it's proof that God answers prayer. Daniel prayed, God answered. Daniel wanted answers, God gives him answers. Daniel's concerned about God keeping his promises, and God says, I will keep my promise. There's great comfort here. There's great comfort that God is keeping his promises. God is a promise-keeping God. And there will be an end. God will bring this all to an end. Now what's sad is that throughout history, people have looked at Daniel chapter 9 and become divided over it. There have been literal fistfights over whether somebody believed in a parenthesis or whether we're in the 70th weeks. Churches have split over the idea of a literal seven years to come versus the idea that we're in the 70th year. This should not be a source of division. 
Some of you may be wondering, what is Temple Bible Church's position? Let me tell you Temple Bible Church's official position. Now, as soon as I say that, the staff is beginning to squirm, and they're thinking, he didn't talk about this on Wednesday. What's he going to say? Temple Bible Church has the following position. Number one, Jesus is the Messiah. We believe that the man Jesus literally lived and walked on this earth nearly 2,000 years ago, that he was a God-man. Can't explain that part. And then when Jesus lived on the earth, he died and he took on all sin, past, present, and future, and brought sin to an end. That on the cross, as he was crucified, he took the full wrath of God such that sin was fully judged. That when he died on the cross, he made atonement once for all. There is no further atoning work that needs to be done. That Jesus in his resurrection, does this sound like Easter? That Jesus in his resurrection brought everlasting righteousness by his example. And that by grace, through faith, we can take part of that everlasting righteousness in him. We believe that Jesus fulfilled every prophecy of the Old Testament. There is nothing left for Jesus to do to fulfill and prove that the Old Testament was right. And we believe that Jesus is the anointed King of kings and Lord of lords. He is the Holy of Holies. Temple Bible Church also believes that Jesus is coming again. We believe that the literal God-man Jesus will come to this earth again in the future. That he will come and there will be a resurrection. And all those who are dead will be brought back to life. And there will be a time where those who are followers of Jesus will be with him forever in heaven. And those who are not will be apart from him forever in hell. We believe that he will do away with sin and all of its consequences. That broken bodies, sadness, sorrow will be forever done away with, not to be seen ever again. And we believe that Jesus is going to establish a new heaven and a new earth. That is the official position of Temple Bible Church. Now, Jesus also gave his disciples something to think about. He told them to be ready. He was coming again. They needed to be ready. And he told them the story of the ten bridesmaids. Five were ready for the coming of the bridegroom. Five were not. Those who were not ready were not allowed to enter into the wedding feast. Jesus is coming again. We need to be ready. I understand that Considering the claims of Jesus takes time to think about. It's a, the biggest decision we would ever make, whether to follow Jesus or not. And it's okay to take time to think about it. But just remember, Jesus is coming. And there is no neutral ground. If you are still thinking about whether or not to follow Jesus, you've made the decision currently to not follow him. And eventually, when that time comes, when Jesus comes, everyone will have made a decision to either follow him or not. Thirdly, 
work hard. You know, the last example that Jesus gives his disciples in Matthew 25 is the parable of the talents. And we're familiar with that. People are given five, two, and one talent. And the whole expectation is that while Jesus is away, his disciples, his followers are expected to work. Work doing what? Work telling the message that Jesus is the Messiah. You see, we as the church have the privilege of proclaiming to the world that Jesus is the Messiah. Paul tells us in 1 Corinthians that we are the body of Christ. Let me translate that for you. We are the body of the Messiah. That's what Christ means. By God's grace, through the outworking of the Holy Spirit, we have the opportunity to bring about the work of the Messiah. That's what Daniel was doing. Daniel, by this time, is in his late 80s. Daniel took great comfort in this passage. He took great comfort in this prophecy. Daniel was ready. He was ready at any time. And Daniel had been working hard. Daniel had been living his life so that everybody around him saw God and had the opportunity to follow God or reject God. That's our task. We are given the privilege of proclaiming a Messiah to the world, a Messiah that is coming to eliminate sin, to get rid of evil, to bring in righteousness, to bring in an eventual relationship with him that we can live with ever. Let us be about the work. Let us be comforted. Let us be ready. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you that you have given us your schedule and your timetable. We thank you that you've given us an important work to do. Lord, I pray that by your spirit we would be good workers. Lord, I pray for those who are not yet followers of you, who are still thinking about it that you would show them and impress the truth of your word and your loving kindness on them. And they might even today become followers of Jesus. Lord, we pray that we would go forth from here a good and shining example of the fact that we believe that Jesus is the Messiah who has come and will come again. In your name we pray, amen. And you are dismissed.